American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, be sure to rate us and give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about Cora Evans, who was a wife, homemaker, and mother. But because of her profound love for God and the deep spiritual gifts she enjoyed throughout her life, she's now a servant of God. Yes, Cora's story is one of the more remarkable ones we'll tell, but it's remarkable because of how simple it is while also being so profound. Cora Jorgensen was born in July 1904 in Utah. She was baptized and raised in the Mormon faith. As early as when she was three years old, she began having mystical experiences, though she didn't have any ability to understand these experiences until much later in life. This is one of the first remarkable things about her life. Later in life, once she knew the Blessed Mother and the saints, she was able to remember back to when she was very young and realize that it was visions of Mary in particular that she had had way back then. It's just amazing to consider. So when she was 19 years old, she married McClellan Evans and their wedding really was the turning point in her life. The wedding ceremony was conducted in the Mormon temple in Salt Lake City, so the main Mormon temple, with all of the elements of a Mormon wedding ceremony. But the ceremony itself left her very disillusioned with her Mormon faith. She was bothered by how the ceremony elevated man-made items above the God of Abraham, and she rejected what she saw as a counterfeit Jesus. Immediately after the wedding, she stopped considering herself a Mormon. Later in life, she said of this experience, I was without a God and religion, but had gained a very wonderful husband. As I looked at him and learned to love him more and more, I resolved to help find a God for him. Over the next 10 years, Cora and Mac had three children, two daughters and a son, though the son died at just 10 months old. But Cora had no success in finding God. Then in 1934, Cora finally found God, or more accurately, she finally let him find her because he emerged in the most unlikely of places. As a Mormon, Cora had been raised with a severely distorted notion of Catholicism. She had been fed significant anti-Catholic propaganda from an early age. And though she'd rejected the Mormon faith when she got married, she hadn't been deprogrammed, if you will, from the anti-Catholicism. That prejudice, however, was challenged on December 9th, 1934, when she was quite ill and bedridden. The radio was on, but it was across the room. When the top of the hour came, the next program began, and it was the Catholic Hour hosted by Monsignor Dwayne Hunt. Cora wanted to turn it off or change the channel, but she was too ill to get up and get out of bed to do it, so she was forced to listen to the program. And what she heard was not at all what she expected. Monsignor Hunt talked about the Blessed Mother and the teachings of the faith, and what he said didn't fit in at all with what Cora had been told as a Mormon. As soon as she was well enough, she went to the nearby Catholic Church, St. Joseph's, to ask questions. In particular, she asked about the woman who had appeared to her since she was a small child, the woman whom she called My Beautiful Lady. That lady was, of course, the Blessed Mother. Of course. One thing led to another, and the parish priest, Father Vaughn, was coming to the Evans' home to have discussions with Mormon bishops and to respond to their challenges. Cora was impressed deeply by his demeanor and his ability to respond. On March 30th of 1935, just three months later, 
Cora was baptized and she received her first communion the next day. A few months later, her husband and their two daughters were also baptized and received communion. So now they had found God and everything was great. Of course not. (laughs) No, it's never that easy. And the difficulty was compounded for them because their conversions led to the conversion of dozens, perhaps hundreds of other Mormons. Their friends and family who were still Mormon didn't take kindly to their apostatizing, leading others to apostatize, and especially not to all of them becoming Catholic. Life became difficult for the Evanses as Max suddenly had a hard time holding down a job. Cora had become a regular mass goer after her conversion, and in 1938, Cora had the first of what would become a regular occurrence for her, a deep, ecstatic, mystical experience. She later wrote of this experience in her autobiography that her soul was intimately united to God during this time, and she made a conscious choice to serve God for the rest of her life. She wrote, It was necessary for me to live my chosen vocation with him as my companion, by loaning Jesus my humanity for him to govern as well as dwell within, would make my life a living prayer, for he was life, living life within me, and my body, now dead to me, was his living cross, his cross to take to Calvary, Calvary, the door to eternal life. There are so many quotes from St. Paul that that evokes, but probably most especially Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. Exactly. And she was going to have to suffer on this path. First, as mentioned, Her husband was not able to hold down a job since he'd left Mormonism and had become Catholic, and they were essentially ostracized from society. So in 1941, they moved to Southern California, where Mac was able to find work. Cora set up their home and raised their two daughters, and the mystical experiences continued. The local Jesuits assigned Father Frank Parrish to be her spiritual director. He would talk with her about her experiences, and he would be present when she would have them on occasion. And these experiences were something to behold. (laughs) Yeah. In her ecstasies, she would become as rigid as a corpse, frequently with her arms outstretched as though they were in the same position as Christ was on the cross. She would be basically comatose and entirely unaware of what was happening around her. And her body would become so heavy that it would take multiple strong men to lift her up onto the bed. In her ecstasies, she was given her life's mission to spread the mystical humanity of Christ. The mystical humanity of Christ is a way of living one's entire life as a prayer. It is a Eucharistic devotion that helps one to live with a constant awareness of the indwelling of Christ. Really, it's living very intentionally with the idea that it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And Christ charged her to spread this devotion by writing about her experiences. Now, that was an unexpected charge that God gave her to write out what she had experienced because she was not a writer. Her education had ended halfway through high school and she had missed a lot of school in her youth due to illness. So she was not an educated woman nor a trained writer. And yet she wrote. She trusted that if God wanted her to write what he had shown her in these private revelations, he would give her the ability to write. She wrote, God's gifts were so clearly cut up into my soul there to write them for his glory for souls on earth. To begin such a task is only to lose myself in the mystery of time and pretend that I am a citizen of Jerusalem 
taking notes from the master's lips. I am just the reporter, and of myself filled with many imperfections. Christ once said to her, I want you to use the gift of writing which I have given you. I want you to write with perfect freedom. And then addressing God, she wrote, My soul gives thee thanks for this great trust, and in that trust I believe thou wilt help me write the knowledge for souls to use as a stepping stone to love thee more. Now, a moment ago, you quoted her referring to Christ as the master. And that was how she always referred to Christ in her writings and when she talked with others about her experiences. In fact, one somewhat funny, somewhat awe-inspiring story says that her daughters, upon coming home from school, would just ask their mother, how's the master today? That's how commonplace their mother's ecstasies were and how purely and simply she shared them with her daughters. Truly remarkable. But yes, she would just write what she had seen. And what she wrote revealed an intimacy with Christ and the saints that might seem odd or even a touch irreverent to some. She reported that Christ, when a youth, had a pet rabbit named Bobbin and a trained mouse which he called Twitchy Ears. She reported that the master was going to give her violin lessons, but just before the lesson was going to start, a dove landed on his violin and busted some of the strings. But she also gave a more intimate look at much more significant parts of his life as when she was present at the crucifixion and reports the demeanor and actions of the Blessed Mother. In fact, her experience of observing the Blessed Mother's actions after the crucifixion led her to begin to pray the Stations of the Cross backward because that was how the Blessed Mother relived them as she walked back from Calvary after the death and burial of Jesus. It really puts a new perspective on that sequence of events, considering them in reverse. It really does. I kind of want to try that approach to the devotion sometime this Lent. Now, she also met John the Baptist, was present when Christ called Peter and Andrew to be his followers, and basically had a backstage pass to the events of the New Testament. In all, she wrote 14 complete manuscripts, with one of them being published under the title Refugee from Heaven. This was her major work, which relates, essentially, a more intimate narrative of the life of Christ and his associates. It's remarkable stuff. But ecstasies and writing material that was beyond her education level weren't the only manifestations of her spiritual gifts. She also had the stigmata, reportedly bilocated, would frequently be surrounded by the fragrance of roses for no obvious reason, and she possessed an ability to handle even the most skeptical theologian. These gifts were talked about by a friend of hers, the actor Daryl Hickman. Hickman was a child actor who exhibited a devotion to his Catholic faith that the Christian brothers, who ran his high school, noted. One of them introduced him to Cora when he was still a teen, and she became basically a spiritual mother to him. He would visit her often. On one of these visits, while she was building a grotto for a statue of St. Francis of Assisi, he spotted a long and deep gash on the palm of her hand and asked her if that was the stigmata. She made light of it and put some of the wet cement over it. Another time, when she was washing dishes, he referenced the stigmata wounds and asked if they hurt. She just shrugged and replied, I have to wash the dishes. He also reported smelling the strong fragrance of roses when he entered the house and sat down in a chair one day. When he asked about it, she said it was no wonder because the master had been with her all morning sitting in that same chair. Now, I'm pretty sure I would have jumped up like a shot. Oh, hi, Jesus. Am I in your seat? My goodness. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> 
So anyhow, the Archbishop of Los Angeles was aware of Cora and her ecstasies, as was a small handful of others, but Father Parrish and the Archbishop were careful not to make a big fuss about her, because what she was experiencing were private revelations of a very personal nature. Public revelations, of course, ended with the death of St. John, the last living apostle. Private revelations could be approved as authentic by the church, but usually they're not. And whether or not they're approved, if they are in accord with true faith, they could be considered efficacious for devotions, but they are not considered, you know, dogmatic teaching. Among those private revelations that the church does affirm as authentic, some are big and obvious during the visionary's lifetime, like Our Lady of Guadalupe or the apparitions at Fatima and Lourdes. But many are not publicized until after the visionary's death. So, for instance, St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy, St. Catherine Labore and the Miraculous Medal, or St. Margaret Mary Alacoque and the Sacred Heart. The church officials felt that since nothing she was reporting was a big public event like Guadalupe, Fatima, or Lourdes, there was no good reason to make a big deal about it. So they approved of Father Parrish hanging onto everything she was writing. They also would send priests and lay theologians to have discussions with her to test her revelations. She told Daryl Hickman about these tests. Daryl, they're always trying to trap me. I never studied theology. All I know is what I'm being told by the Lord. And she apparently passed the tests with flying colors. Remember, she was not a trained theologian. She didn't even finish high school. But she was able to simply tell her inquisitors what she had been told by the master. And that was all she needed to tell them. Cora and Mac Evans moved to a house in the mountains near Boulder Creek, California, which is in the Diocese of Monterey in 1956. It was here that Cora Evans died in 1957 of stomach cancer. Before her death, Hickman visited her in the hospital. He told her that he was praying for her and that he wished there was something he could do. She said in reply, I'm doing just what I want to do. I'm offering my sufferings for the conversion of Mormons. She never lost her care and concern for her family, friends, and all of those who still believed in the Mormon religion. Father Parrish held on to Cora's massive body of writings for decades until entrusting them to his nephew, Michael McDevitt, in 1992. Since then, McDevitt has championed her cause and has led the efforts to tell the story of her life and spread the devotion to the mystical humanity of Christ. He and others lead conferences and retreats based on this devotion across the country. We will link to their website in the show notes, as well as to the website dedicated to her writings and her canonization. Refugee from Heaven and other collections of her writings are available there as well. Eventually, the Bishop of Monterey appointed Father Joseph Grimaldi to be the postulator of her cause. And in 2012, the Vatican formally approved the opening of the cause for canonization for Cora Evans officially declaring her a servant of God. Now the process is in the hands of the Vatican to examine her life and copious writings to determine if she led a life of heroic virtue and then to examine any miracles that may be reported through her intercession. One day, California may have a second saint and Utah its first native-born saint, the mystic housewife and mother, Cora Evans. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help us out by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. 
And we ask you to consider supporting the work of SQPN. Yes, now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron. Thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 per month after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all of our shows, including American Catholic History, making your gift go even further. If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now is the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. To learn more about Servant of God, Cora Evans, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimage to the Kentucky Holy Land and Bourbon Country, please visit sqpn.com slash history. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.